Part 36, the letter that changed the world. How renewed minds come to know the will of Father God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then tonight, mostly, we'll be focusing on these words, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And you, you can't help but just restate this marvelous goal in that last phrase of the text. So the method of transformation is the renewed mind. We spent a couple of weeks on that. Renewed mind comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. It doesn't just happen. The mind has to be stretched around God's word. The renewed mind will always be out of reach for people who just pray for it or are too busy to mind the depths of God's eternal, life-freeing grace. We live in a world that trains us to think about little things, light things, Things that you can put in an 18-character text, 30-second commercial. It trains us to think lightly and smallly. We're, we're driven by the gods of ambition, entertainment, wealth. And so our brains are kind of naturally the wrong shape to be filled with ideas and aspirations and teachings from the Holy Spirit in God's Word. So the method is a renewed mind. The motivation, we talked about, it's the mercy of God. We're not looking for just legalism. We're, we're drawn into a renewed mind, not by legal obligation, but by thankful adoration. Remember, we looked at, we looked at um, Jesus in the house of Simon and the woman who was a sinner. She comes and anoints his feet with her tears and, and breaks that ointment. And, and Jesus says to the Pharisee, a, a person owed the master once a small debt and another person a large debt. They're both forgiven. Who loves the most? And the Pharisee says, well, the one who's been forgiven the larger debt. It's, it's, this, it's this understanding, comprehension of mercy, how mercy works. That's what renews the mind. Last Sunday we started on the... So transformation happens through a renewed mind. The motive for the renewed mind is... The mercy of God. Know God's mercy in adoration and praise. The result of the renewed mind is we present our bodies. It's specific. While it's not legalistic, it is specific. We're called to follow Jesus, not generally, but specifically. And that call to holiness out of love and devotion, it reaches these physical bodies. So everything I do with my body, eating, drinking, paying bills, 
conversations with friends, relationships with family, traveling from one location to another, reading books, watching TV, going out on a date with my wife, preaching a sermon. Whatever I do in this physical body, it's designed to be done in such a way that everybody who sees me says, isn't Jesus wonderful to Pastor Don? That's the goal. There are two dangers I have to watch out for. First, I must put to death sin in my members. Inclination. The inclination to wrong deeds. So I, I, I must not allow the deeds of the body, the things I say, the things I look at, what I listen to, the places I go, the relationships I form. I must not allow the acts of the body to mar the presence and glory of Jesus. And secondly, here's another danger, in presenting my body, I must not allow even good, innocent, God-given pleasures to tempt out of me a passion that exceeds my passion for Christ. So there will be many good things that need to die in my life for Christ to have his proper place. So that sacrifice still isn't legalism. It's done out of gratitude and adoration for the mercies of God. That brings us to tonight. That was a really quick overview of about five weeks of study. Now we look at the goal of the renewed mind. The end result is to know the will of God that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? I have about three thoughts. Here's, here they are. One, the will of God is gloriously wonderful and perfect for our lives. I shouldn't have to say that, but I have to say it to myself. I have to say it to you. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. And the reason is, it, it reflects the mind of God, and He is good and acceptable and perfect. So, I learn right now that if my mind is renewed, the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, I will come to see the will of God not just as a list of do's and don'ts. I won't see the will of God as something detached from God Himself. The will of God is the expression of the mind of God. And, and there's a reason. There's a reason Paul places that word acceptable in the list of adjectives describing the will of God. And here's the reason. People like us, people like we, we will have a hard time embracing God's will unless we see it properly. If I make the mistake of seeing God's will as simply he's bigger than I am, he's boss, he's flexing his muscles towards his creation, it will make doing his will a chore. Even if I do it, it will be a chore. Our world works hard to make the will of God look unacceptable. You know how it works. You watch the sitcoms. Religious people almost always posed as having too much starch in their collars, their narrow-minded prudes who always have their noses in other people's business. The media is very 
calculating in its relentless battle with the glory of God. Paul says for people with renewed minds, and we've talked about that process. It's a gradual, maturing process. But for people with renewed minds, people who give God a chance, for any who come to truly know the will of God in their own experience, it's not something ugly. It's not something difficult. It's not something boring. It is guiding. It is merciful. It is all-wise. It is loving. Here's my statement. You've heard me make it before. The will of God for your life is what you would always choose if you had all the information. Okay, point number two. How does the renewed mind, if the will of God is truly good and acceptable, how does a renewed mind come to know it? I mean, that's the question. It's a bigger question than a lot of people think. And you can see how hard it is to sort this out by the way different translations go at this last part of the second verse. Are those in your notes, the three different? uh, Okay. So here's the New American Standard Bible. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The first part's basically the same in all the verses. Now listen. So that you may prove, you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, perfect. Here's the NIV. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same thing. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Look at the ESV. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. And you can see, I think, you can see something important right away. I think you can see there's, there's more to the process of a renewed mind knowing the will of God than just knowing what God's will is. That's an important sentence. There's more to the process of a renewed mind knowing the will of God as good, acceptable, and perfect. That's more than just knowing what God's will is, the factual content, what God wants me to do next. In other words, Paul is not talking about just some factual awareness of what God requires and what God forbids. Most of us already know most of that, right? It's not rocket science. The King James and the NASB, they both use that little word prove, that you may prove what the will of God is. Then the NIV and the ESV, I'm sorry to bore you, but this is really important. They use several words to replace that one word, prove. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. And here's the reason for the difficulty. That one Greek word, dikamazo, it's almost impossible to put into one English word. Sometimes that's an issue of translation. You, you have a word in the Hebrew or the Greek or the Aramaic. You have a word for which there is no single English equivalent. What do you do at that point if you're translating scriptures? Well, they put a couple of words together to try and convey the full weight. It literally means something like 
proving by trying it out. Only that sounds like it's optional. It doesn't mean that. Or proving by implication, proving by result. So, so it's, it's knowing God's will, but it's not just knowing the facts of it. It's, it's appraising it. It's assessing it. It's valuing it appropriately. I used this illustration in my Christian ed class. I apologize for those of you that were there and you've heard it. But you can know, you can know a great deal about something without knowing its value. Just imagine. So I'm going to hire Ron. I'm going to hire Ron Dyer because, because we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a distant land somewhere. He doesn't know up from down. And I'm going to hire him. I own a gold mine. And I'm going to hire Ron because I don't want to go down into the depths of the earth. And I'll send him down there. And I'm going to teach him what gold looks like, how he can spot it. I'm going to teach him how to remove it, how to dig it out. I'm going to teach him the difference between real gold and fool's gold so that he knows real gold when he sees it. And I'm going to teach him how to put it in buckets. And I'm going to teach him how to get a pulley and rig it and bring it on back to the surface. I'm going to teach him everything there is to know until he's an expert on getting gold out of the ground. There's only one thing I'm not telling him. And I'm going to give him 10 cents for every bucket of gold he brings up out of the earth. So, so here's what he knows. He knows everything there is to know about gold except its value. Okay? Remember that illustration. Here's a young man. I'm, I've known in mind that I, I could pick a different situation. Let's, I always pick on young men. Here's a young woman. She is attracted to a young man. He's not a Christian. And she's going out with him. She's falling in love with him. She's been raised in a Christian home, and she knows from the ground up. Her parents have told her. Her church has told her. She can read some of Paul's words in the New Testament. She knows, she's always known, that it's not right for her as a Christian young woman to date this atheist. Her problem isn't knowing God's will, right? She knows it, doesn't she? What's her problem? Her problem is valuing God's will. She's had the facts all her young life, and she's never, she's never had to act on any of those facts. But now she has to. And now she's going to have to learn, she's going to have to learn that the will of God is, is good and acceptable and perfect. She, she knows what God's will is. That has nothing to do with a renewed mind. A renewed mind says, this will break my heart to end this. But God's will is always best, even if I can't see it right now. First she knew what God's will was. Now she knows the value. That by testing, you may approve God's will. Right? What is good and acceptable and perfect. There are all sorts of Christians in all walks of life 
who fail God relentlessly all the while knowing exactly what his will is. So when Paul talks about testing and approving and appraising the will of God, he's not talking about knowing what it is. He's talking about the value you place on it in your life. You can have a church upbringing without having a renewed mind. You can quote Bible verses without having a renewed mind. You can have Christian parents without having a renewed mind. You can be a Christian business person without possessing a renewed mind. You can know so much about the will of God because you've been brought up and taught the things that God wants you to do and the things you know he doesn't want you to do. And you can go down into that gold mine and bring out what you've been assigned to do in your Christian life and you can do all of it without any sense of value of God's will. And sooner or later, probably sooner, You'll be brought, probably by the Spirit of God himself, every one of you will be brought into a specific situation. Everyone will be brought into a specific situation where God's going to test the value you place on his will. Everybody, you're all tracking with that? He's going to test not whether you know what God's will is, That's kindergarten stuff. He's going to test the value you place on it. And he's going to say, choose life. Choose life. I pray that silly illustration of the gold mine. I pray it stays in your mind. We are invited by testing to approve the good of God's will in a world of smoke and mirror delights and lies. We are invited to allow the Spirit of God to renew and remake our brains so they're more fitted to the valuing of the kingdom than the valuing of Hollywood or Wall Street. Oh, the delight and the safety there is to be found when our minds learn to appraise the call of Christ and the will of God as being perfect. Perfect on our behalf. Point number three, I'm almost done. Learning to discern the will of God is different from simply gleaning information. It's related to the last point, but I want to probe a little deeper here. A lot of people find this puzzling. God will not tell you everything you're supposed to do in this world. And there's a reason for that, and it's a good reason. Contrary to popular opinion, God doesn't want to form you into a person who simply carries out instructions, even if you carry them out well. God is not interested in just raising people who carry out his instructions. He wants to raise people that love his own heart. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. Adoration, thankfulness. There's a lot of Christians who feel it's the height of spirituality to just be constantly seeking the latest revelation from the Spirit of God. This may shock you, but I want to say, as one who fully appreciates the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy in particular, that constant prophetic revelations from the Spirit 
for personal guidance and direction are not God's best plan for your life or mine. And here's why. I've used this story before too. I can still remember the first time my dad in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, took me out into our hilly backyard and started a gas-powered lawnmower and let me cut the grass. And, and, and because the lawn went up a pretty steep hill, then there was a sidewalk down the middle and up a pretty steep hill here, he, he always taught me to go sideways because I was pretty little. You don't want to be pushing a lawnmower up the hill, lose your footing, and have the lawnmower come back. That's a bad idea, he said. And so there I was, and I cut it back and forth, back and forth. And I was pretty pleased with myself. Went into the house and told him I had it all done. He came outside, and he said, that's good, that's good. When you cut the grass, that little cement sidewalk up the middle of our yard, it's got long grass growing up all by the steps. Part of the job is you have to trim that. Trimmers back then weren't, they were, remember these? I trimmed it. Went into the house, told him I had it done. He came out and said, that's great. When you trim the grass by the steps, you really haven't finished the job until you sweep it off the steps. And so I learned the process of cutting the grass. He didn't want to go the rest of his life telling me to cut the grass and how to cut the grass. What he was doing was making me able to see when the grass was long, get the lawnmower, cut the grass, do it properly. And I wanted to do it because I wanted to please him. I wanted him happy with that. That's as good an illustration as I can think of. God does not want to raise a bunch of people that he just says, now put this foot here, now put that foot there, now do this, now do that. What he wants is a group of people who, who know his heart, who long more than anything else to please him in everything they do. And here's the thing. There's a million decisions you're going to make every day. There are all sorts of details that get your concordance. They're not covered in the Bible. What God wants to do is raise up people who, where his will is revealed, have renewed minds, basking in his mercy, longing to please him. So it's not just a matter. You, a servant, can carry out every command of his master and not love his master, right? That's not what God is looking for. Renewed minds around God's mercy are drawn to pleasing him in every single conceivable way. And here's what you'll find. More and more, with that kind of heart and a renewed mind, it is so much easier for the Holy Spirit just to gently guide. And the psalmist talks about he guides me with his eye. It's the kind of person I want to be. Not some robot, here's A, B, C, D, you carry it out. Loving the heart of the Father. Knowing his will is good, it's acceptable, and if only you had all the information, perfect for your life. 